be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see so many elderly with us. We are glad you're here. We need your wisdom and experience in life. I would like to just clarify something from last evening's message, lest I imply something I unintentionally implied. As we think of um, evil and God's sovereignty, I want us to, I just want to clarify that it is not God's intent to send evil our way. Rather, he uses the evil that comes our way for his pleasure, for his good in our life. In other words, redemptively. So I'd like to look just briefly, um, why does God allow evil? Sometimes we struggle with, God, why don't you put a stop to this evil or this violence? But let's just remind ourselves that evil has sprung from a departure of that which is good. In other words, it's, God, it's not God's intent that evil exists, but man has chosen evil. Evil has sprung from a departure of that which is good, just as darkness comes from extinguishing the light. Evil and suffering are the fruits of sin. John Koblenz, in his book, Love and Non-Resistance, makes this um, beautiful observation. God gives man the freedom of choice, but not the freedom of consequences. We have the freedom to choose, but we do not determine what those consequences are. We accept the results of our decision. And God has pre-programmed the, the wages of sin is death. So if we choose sin, we choose the consequence, death. Is it just to place upon God the responsibility of man's choices? How often have you heard the phrase, do I have to? Maybe we've said it ourselves. You see, we want the liberty to choose, right? We don't want to just be robotic. That's not how God made us. God who created man in his image has given to every man the right to choose. It is the nature of love to will to love. In questioning the tolerance or presence of evil, we automatically assume the premise that we are good, and that if I were God, or more accurately stated, if God were me, I would do something different. He would eradicate evil. However, consider two aspects of this premise. Number one, the actions of man reveal the heart of man. To force a change of action without a change of heart is going to be ineffective. 
our jails and our prisons show that. We can't just reform people by a change of actions because our actions reveal our heart. Secondly, how would you control or eradicate evil? Kill all the murderers? You see, my response to evil mirrors the evil within me. Why would we cry out for our own execution? I am thankful that God is not like I am and that he is sovereign. So we ask the question, where is God? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. The heart of God expressed and made visible through the person of Jesus Christ moves toward the suffering and sin sick. He came not only to deliver from the power of sin, from the guilt of sin, but the power of sin. He comes with love, forgiveness, deliverance, and healing in his wings, but he forces no one. Whosoever will, let him come. God is just in allowing the consequences of man's decisions to rest upon his own shoulders. The abortions, killings, wars are evidence of man's departure from God and his will and design. The marvel is not that God allows evil. The marvel is that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The wonder is not that God didn't deliver Jesus from the will of unjust men. The wonder is that Jesus slew death by triumphing over evil through the worst that evil could produce. The marvel is not that evil exists. The marvel is that light can shine out of darkness, can break through the bars of death, that good can break through as the morning sun in a place where the question was raised, can any good come out of Nazareth? The marvel is not that we face evil or sin or its effects. The marvel is that God can work through that evil in our lives to produce good. Only God can do that. And I assure you, God is not for sin. He is for us overcoming sin. He maybe fights it in a different way than we do. So let's rest in God's sovereignty and allow him to be Lord of our lives. Turning our thoughts to this morning's topic, victorious living. I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 21. For our text verse, and before we read that, I would like to give you opportunity to respond. Have you give consideration, any consideration to the questions that we've submitted? And I know there can be more than one key or element to victorious Christian living. 
But what comes to your mind as a significant part or key to victorious Christian living? If someone came up to you and said, what is the secret of victorious Christian living? What would you tell them? Anyone care to respond? Surrender. And not just surrender to anything, but to a sovereign God, right? Yes. Very good. Surrender. That is key. Absolutely. Anyone else? Prayer. Prayer. Yes. Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Prayer. Vital. The songwriter says, prayer is the Christian's vital breath. Any others? Love. Love is powerful. Love overcomes hate. Love is stronger than hate. The love of the Father in our hearts removes the love of the world from our hearts. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? With God's help, uh, avoiding sin. Yes, with God's help, avoiding sin. So we recognize our dependence upon God. We need His help. Thank you. Absolutely. We are no match against temptation and Satan on our own. Thank you for that. The next question is the key to victorious living to not sin. How would you respond to that question? Okay. Thank you. Leonard's hitting the nail on the head here. The key is following Jesus, not just resisting sin. And the, the burden of the message this morning in its simplicity is, and I've, I've discovered this in my life, that so often I'm focused on resisting sin or being against sin that I lose focus of doing good or living rightly. Let me try to illustrate it. Well, let me ask it this way. Is it possible that in our pursuit to resist evil, to resist sin, we have actually been captivated by it? Let me illustrate it this way. When I go into jail ministry sometimes, I will ask the inmates in there, and it works well there because they're in an institution where they would say the food is less than ideal. So this works well for them. But follow the thought here. Don't think of snakes, okay? Do not think of snakes. Don't think of that black snake hiding in the grass. Don't think of that snake hiding under the rocks that we were hiking on yesterday in the creek. Don't think about those snakes with their triangle heads and their little tongues sticking out. Don't think about it. Okay, what are you doing? 
Now, for the inmates, then, I asked them, if you could have your choice of anything that you want to eat, whether a main course or a dessert, what would it be? So I'd like to hear from you. If you could choose lunch today, anything, what would you like to have? Roast beef. Roast beef, okay. Excellent. I'd be happy to join you. Poor man's steak. Poor man's steak, okay. Sounds like a rich man's feast. <laughs> Roasted chicken. Oh, rice and chicken. Yes. Great combination. How about desserts? What's your favorite dessert? Pecan pie. Pecan pie, okay. And maybe someone has something else, so what would you want? Oh, cake with lots of frosting, yes. Okay, now, were you thinking of snakes while we were talking about food? See, the point is, in resisting temptation sometimes, it actually stays in front of me. And I say, don't think about that, don't think about that. I, sh I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that. But it stays there. So the emphasis this morning is to put something else in place. Think about something else that we don't think about the temptation itself. Is this making sense? Think about it this way. If the Christian life is only a defense position, no, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't sin, how does that work practically in a ball game? Let's say the goal of your ball game is to keep the other team from scoring. Now that's part of it, right? I'm not saying that we don't play defensively, but if we focus primarily on defense, will we win if nobody scores? No. We want to make some runs, right? So while we play defensively, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to move forward, to overcome, and to score, right? So that's what we want to look at here this morning. We hear the concept that Jesus lived to die. And that's true in a sense. But I think maybe more accurately, Jesus lived to live. And death was part of the equation. It wasn't the final emphasis. He lives to live, and death was part of that. Because Jesus yielded himself to God, he died to self. We read in Scripture, he came to do the will of his Father. Not just resist evil. He came to do the will of his Father. Evil is the absence of good, but good is not the absence of evil. And I'd like to say it in this way. Holiness is not only absence of sin. That's part of it. Holiness is being separated unto God. It's living righteously, not just not sinning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 
Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. A lawyer came to Jesus and began in verse 36 saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love, and someone mentioned love here this morning, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you see, loving God is something active. It's not just defensive. And I'm not trying to minimize death to self. Please understand that's part of the equation. But I want us to move beyond that. I want us to see that God has equipped us to live above sin, not just keep it at bay. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and note just a couple verses here. Let's pick out verse 25. Well, let's back up to, the, um, to verse 24. Verse 22 says that we're supposed to put off, and that's what I would maybe say is a little, little more of the defensive position, focusing on putting away, putting off. But he says in verse 24, put on the new man. Don't just not do something, do something. So let's pick up in verse 25, and he says, wherefore putting away lying, so we put that away, so is that good enough? Just don't lie. No, he moves us beyond that and says, Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. Is that enough? Just not stealing. No, there needs to be something beyond that. In fact, I would say if we labor and work with our hands the thing which is good so that we have to give instead of take, doesn't that keep stealing at bay? So we're kind of coming in from the backside now. Is this making sense? We're looking through a different lens of not just pushing against evil, but overcoming evil with good. And I'm sorry, did I forget to read the text verse? I think I did. Yes, my apologies. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. That's the heart of God for us. Now, I'd like for us to consider this aspect. Have you ever heard of sins of commission and sins of omission? We normally think of sins of commission above or more than omission. So when I commit a sin... I do something wrong, right? I commit a sin. When I commit the sin of omission, it sounds a little paradoxical, doesn't it? <laughs> but when I omit something, I do not do something that I should do. 
So think about it this way. What do we, what good do we forfeit or miss by lying or stealing? In other words, everything is a trade-off. So if you lie, what good are you forfeiting according to Scripture? Aren't we forfeiting speaking every man truth with his neighbor? So not only are we committing a sin by lying, we are omitting a good. We are forfeiting a good that we should be actively involved in. What good is forfeited when we steal? Isn't it doing the thing which is good, laboring with our own hands so that we can give instead of take? So I want us to, I want us to remember that God has a good he wants us to do. Don't forfeit that. Let's go now to 1 John chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Let's just jump into verse 15 here. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that... What's the word? Maybe it's different in your translation. Doeth. He that doeth the will of God. Not just he that loves not the world, but he who does the will of God. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Here's a familiar story, but perhaps we overlook the main emphasis or point of this story. This story is known as the Good Samaritan story. Luke chapter 10. You know the story, so we won't read the actual story. I want to read the emphasis I believe Christ is pointing us to in the parable or in this story. So a lawyer comes to him in verse 25 and says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We're in Luke 10. And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Listen to Jesus' response. Thou hast answered right. This do. Catch that? This do, and thou shalt live. Then he, willing to justify himself, says, Well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want us to notice what Jesus is really driving at here. Think of the priest and the Levite. 
What wrong did they do? Did they hurt the man? No, they weren't the ones who hurt him. The sin of omission, exactly. They did not do something that they should have done if they would have loved God with all their heart. But the Samaritan did something because he was motivated by the love of God. He had compassion on this hurt man. And he did something. You see the the vivid contrast of someone just in a defense position and someone in an active overcoming. And now let's go to the end of the story where Jesus asked him, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus gives him the same answer he did at the first. Go and do. You are omitting something. You have the right answer. You know what you should do, but you're not doing it. This do, and thou shalt live. A couple of illustrations that helps me get a little better handle on this. Let me um, give you an account that Pablo Yoder gives first. Have you read Chosen from Among the Worst? Anyone? Okay, several of you. It's a story of a man by the name of Omar. And the thing that impressed me the most about the story of Omar was this. Pablo gives two accounts in, re- in relating to Omar. Omar was a fearless and ruthless man. You did not cross his path without, or cross him, I should say, without um, experiencing devastation. And he wasn't scared of you. After coming to know Christ, a drunk man um, threatened him with a knife because he had simply tied his horse to a post outside of a store, and this drunk thought he should not have tied his horse here. And he threatened Omar, and Omar, his natural instinct was to just take the man out. And everything within him called for vengeance on this drunkard trying to boss him around. But instead, he jumped on his horse and left because he knew it was either, I'm going to take care of this guy, or, in other words, I'm going to hurt him, or I have to leave. And he heard an audible voice saying, love your enemies. And he took off down the road. But he struggled with this because he said, I did not feel love for this man. And Pablo encouraged him by saying, you did win a victory. Think of what would have happened if you would have hurt the man. That is part of the victory. But he said to complete the victory, to seal the victory, pray for an opportunity to witness to that man. And Omar did that. And God gave him an opportunity to witness to him. You see, it wasn't just enough to run from the evil and not do something bad. 
God wants us to overcome evil with good. The second incident was his neighbor, Omar's neighbor, came and said that Omar's fence was on his property. And in truth, it was not. And so Omar went and got some help. And to shorten the story, his neighbor accepted that, yes, it was your property. It was a peaceful resolution. But Pablo asked him, how is your relationship with your neighbor? And he said, it's still strained. We, we avoid each other. Uh, we don't talk to each other. And Pablo said, pray for an opportunity to do him good. And one day, his neighbor was bringing home a cow with his young son. And right before his neighbor tied the cow up to the tree, his young son got too close to the back of the cow, and the cow kicked him and hurt him badly. And Omar saw this happen, ran over, offered to take him to the hospital, and he did. And that incident, that situation, opened the door for restoration in their relationship. In other words, Omar overcame evil with good, not just didn't do something bad to his neighbor. He went beyond that. So think about it this way. If we think of holiness and victorious living as the absence of sin, that would be like emptying this cup. We want to be free from sin, emptied of sin, right? But that doesn't give the full picture of God's purpose and heart for us, does it? God wants us to be filled with himself. So when this cup is full of good water, then there's not room for evil to come in. Think about it this way. Many of you have used a pair of binoculars, and thank you for bringing these for us here today. This may be a rather crude illustration, but it's a little bit what I've experienced in my Christian life. The lens through which you see victorious Christian living, if we focus only on dying, and again, dying is part of it, but if we only focus on dying, <laughs> it feels like a dead end street. So let's say that the lens of death, seeing through the lens of death, is the big side here. And when you look through a binoculars backwards, can you describe for me the object that you're looking at? Where is that in relation to your view or your grasp? Doesn't it put it out of reach? So the, the good you want to do, you're trying to die in order to do that, but it seems out of reach. It's way out there. But if you look through the good, the, the life that God wants you to live, and death is part of that equation, but overcoming evil with good, if you look through the lens of good, what happens it feels within grasp. I can do this. It's within reach. So I would like to encourage you 
While death is an imperative and vital part of victorious Christian living, and we can't live without dying, don't stop there. Consider the greatness of overcoming evil with good. Put something else in. Focus on living rightly, not only just on not doing something bad, but doing something good for someone. Living holy and righteously and godly in this present world. Let your cup be filled with the good food, the good desserts, to the extent that the snakes can't get in or the dirty water. I hope this makes sense to you. Um, Resist not evil, that's part of it, but overcome evil with good. That's the heart of God for us. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 12 and close out in the context. Romans 12, 21. I love this simple, short, clear verse. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And what is the context? Dearly beloved, verse 19, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. Absorb that evil, don't return it, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But don't just resist it. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, overcoming evil with good. If he thirsts, Give him drink, for in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 45, 44, excuse me. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Don't just not do something bad back to them, but actually love them, move toward them. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You see the the movement of good over evil in, that needs to be active in our lives. So I just want to bless and encourage you with be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And God bless you in that.